Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with Literature to Win Africa for Christ. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Last week here at Frontline Fellowship, we received guests from Kenya. A film crew from Africa Speaks had driven down overland from Nairobi. The film producer, Gathuku Kibunga, said he was part of the Great Commission Conference that you spoke at in 2000 at Kenyatta University. He had also been part of a conference you spoke at in 2016 at Kabarak University. Kathuku had received your book, The Greatest Century of Missions, at that event. He had since helped launch Africa Speaks as a network of publishing professionals united to establish a viable and flourishing Christian publishing industry throughout Africa. Uh, during the interview, Kathuku asked you many probing questions, and we would like to review those questions that he raised. Uh, but before we do so, can you tell us a bit more about um, him and Africa Speaks? Yes, uh, I remember these conferences very well. This first week of the new millennium, the year 2000, at Joma Kenyatin University, we had about 3,000 young people gathering for this Great Commission Conference, which was a tremendous event. And uh, also back in 2016, I was invited by um, Life Challenge Africa, Baltic Ashwantana, good friends of ours. He specialised in Muslim evangelism. He asked for permission to reprint my book, Greatest Century of Missions, 10,000 copies. And we, of course, were very happy to give that permission, but first of all, revised and updated it. And uh, they printed 10,000 copies of Greatest Century of Missions and gave them to people who came to their conferences, youth leaders and pastors from all over East Africa, in Kenya, in Tanzania, and in Uganda. And this ministry at Kabarak University, which is a very prestigious Christian-orientated university in Kenya, uh, that was one of the highlights of the whole event. And uh, so as one of the participants, Kabuthu got a Great Century of Missions book, which has got 16, no, 19 biographies of 19 greatest missionaries of the greatest century of missions, 19th century. And uh, so he's inspired to get more involved in literature and use examples of excellence. I think this Africa Speaks initiative, serving Christian booksellers all over Africa is, is a wonderful ministry and they're working amongst not just the English-speaking countries in Africa, but the French-speaking as well. And it's it's a very worthy cause because a reading Christian is a growing Christian. If you want to lead, you must read. And it's so important to get Christians into reading and into literature. It was well said by the nephew of Mahatma Gandhi. He said, um, yes, the missionaries did teach us how to read, but it's a communist who gave us something to read. And that's quite an indictment that missionaries have done a great job in literacy training, but the communists, in many cases, have built on top of that, providing the literature. And, um, it was first Benjamin Franklin who said, the 26 lead soldiers will conquer the world, but later Karl Marx used the same terminology, speaking of the old printing trays and old metal um, raised printing um, fonts used in printing for so many years before we got to life of plate. 26 letters of the alphabet, so the 26 lead soldiers of the alphabet. You can use them as an army, mobilize the printing press to conquer the world. And the communists have been very investing in literature, and we should get back into it, because there was a time that most of the printed works in the world were Martin Luther's writings. Martin Luther took and harnessed the printing press to beat the Pope. The Pope might have controlled the churches, but Martin Luther dominated the technology of his time, the printing press, and the Reformation was launched by printing. And so we need to learn, again, the importance. Of course, now we've got new technology, desktop publishing, 
uh, online, digital, the World Wide Web, and so much more podcasts and platforms. So we need to utilize the technology we've got today to advance the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. And you are what you read. Um, there's no doubt that publications are a powerful way of communicating. And uh, here's a poem that really reminds us of how important it is. The written word can go where and when the human voice cannot. Literature is the most cost-effective way of proclaiming the gospel. It has no passport or visa problems. It knows no fear. It never loses its temper. Literature never tires. It is never discouraged. It can tell its story over and over again. It can be received, read, and studied in secret. It speaks without an accent. It never compromises. The written word is more permanent than the human voice. A drop of ink can make a million think. So the scripture says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is powerful, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. The scripture is extremely powerful and we are told in Isaiah 55 verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So it is impossible for God's word to return void. God's word has inherent power. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. So the word of God is living and powerful. And we should fix the Lord's words in our minds, our heart and our soul. And the word of God should dwell richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing. And we should speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And sow the word of God wherever we go. It is the seed that will produce a great harvest of righteousness. So literature ministry is a very strategic ministry. And uh, I think it's a very good focus for this documentary that Africa Speaks is working at to inspire a greater interest in books and reading and literature ministry. Yeah, you've discussed the importance of publishing and literature ministry. Why is the basic act of reading so important, especially for Christians? Well, I think a reading is gym for the mind. And so just like going to a gymnasium might be to stretch your muscles, going into a library will stretch your mind. And the mind is like a muscle. It can be stretched. And, uh, you know, like the first time you try and run around the block, you get exhausted. You can't do it without stopping and losing all your breath. But through practice... You can run around the field without losing your breath and without stopping, and you keep going and you can start to get up to marathons. It just takes exercise and repetition. Same thing with reading. First time you might have trouble to finish a page, but after one you can read chapters and the whole books, and you can go from just reading a leaflet to books and major books and heavy books and, and uh, going from easy reads like biographies to tough theology and philosophy books, history books, and there's no doubt that our minds can be stretched. So to get people to reading in an age of distraction, we're living in a shallow, superficial age where everything is just some kind of meme and some sh shallow thing on social media, on an app and Twitter. And so to follow a concerted thought deeply, expanding the scripture, going into things that people have grappled with over centuries maybe, lifetimes, and you read a book and you can hear 
people of long ago speak to you. You know, imagine if you've got the opportunity to hear someone like John Calvin or Charles Spurgeon or David Livingston or Martin Luther coming to speak in town. People would come from all over the world to listen. But you can open up a book by one of those authors and hear them speak and learn from them in a greater way from reading a book of theirs than you could from just hearing them speak at a single meeting. So we've got on our shelves Minds Alive. We've got people of long ago, great people who are examples of excellence, speak to us in our time, in our way, if we can just open up a book by them that's on the shelf. So to get people to read, get examples of excellence, to lift their minds from the fashions and the fads of today to that which endured, that which was excellent and praiseworthy and, and which lasted through the fads and fashions of the time. So I think getting people back to reading, well, it'll make people fit in stronger mentally and hopefully get people out of being politically correct, cancel culture, just trying to appease and virtue signal uh, the latest shallow fashion or fad that's going around the internet right now. What are the earliest known Christian literature efforts in South Africa? When Which denominations had a literature department? Well, Livingston and his father-in-law, Robert Moffat, played a major role. London Missionary Society, which brought Robert Moffat out, has the distinction of publishing the first full Bible in African language, Tswana language, at Kuruman. Kuruman, London Missionary Society base, received the first printing press south uh, north of the Orange River, and it was brought from Britain through Cape Town. Robert Moffat took it up, learned how to print, and used the printing press in Kuruman to print the first complete Bible in African language, Tswana. And then he got Pilgrim's Progress, the first book translated into African language, and uh, from there, they published so many more school books and a lot more followed. But um, the Dutch Formed Church and the Baptist Mission Society did a lot in terms of literature. South Africa General Mission of Andrew Murray, based in Wellington, they did much Bible translation and book publishing in indigenous languages. I think that um, the Dutch Formed Church probably did the most in literature in the early years of, of South Africa. And um, Stellenbosch became a major publishing area as well. Uh, Stellenbosch University produced some great authors. And Andrew Murray, of course, is the greatest author in South African history um, as a Dutch foreign minister from Scotland. Uh, Andrew Murray's works have never been out of print for over 100 and something years. There's over 200 titles produced by Andrew Murray, translated into many languages. There's no South African author to compare with, with Andrew Murray. In terms of number of titles, numbers of books, numbers of translation, or numbers of readers through the centuries. So South Africa has a great history in terms of publishing. And uh, we really need to get back to having that major focus. How would you compare general publishing with Christian publishing in South Africa? Well, of course, general publishing is commercial and the aim is to make money. Whereas Christian publishing, the aim is to glorify God, to be true to the scriptures, to evangelize and to disciples. So the Christian publishing ministry obviously isn't going to be as popular or as financially lucrative because our goal is not success in the world sense, but success in God's eyes. Will us please God? Will glorify God? Is it sola scriptura? Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Is this going to be edifying? Is it relevant? Powerful? So Christian publishing will never be as 
successful in the world sense as the general commercial publishing, but it's super important and it's essential for the health of the nation. What's the influence of Christian literature on the education curriculum in South Africa? Well, there was a time that played a major role, and we used to have Christian books in the school's curriculum in the English departments. And I remember when the Transvaal Education Department had um, at the Ford that this curriculum is designed to bring every student to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, that's going back when we had Christian national education and the goal of the state education system was actually directly aimed at evangelism in the South We've gone a long way from there. So there used to be a time that Christianity pervaded all the subjects in our schools, but now it's more like secular humanism, hedonism, existentialism, Arminianism, um, antinomianism is, is throughout our education system. So right now it's gender confusion and promoting LGBTQ and evolutionism would be probably the biggest thing. But Christian literature has played a big role in education in general. You can think, for example, the oldest teacher training college in the country would have been Conardendal, the oldest mission station in the country, Conardendal near Caledon. And uh, then Wellington had another teacher training college, a Huguenot teacher training college in the Africa Institute. And so teachers went out from Wellington and Conardendal and impacted education throughout the country. You can still go to the museum at Canardendal and see many of the old books produced by Christians, missionaries, and indigenous converts that impacted different subjects in our country. But uh, right now, of course, um, the education system has been hijacked by the New World Order, the globalists and UNESCO have been coming in, injecting their radical, secular humanist, and in many cases, atheistic mindset. So we have to consistently work to see that our curriculum is thoroughly Christian, especially the textbooks. And in this way, the older would be better than the newer would be worse. What key Christian books have played a huge role in shaping the mindset of South Africans? Well, um, <clears throat> I don't know that they've all been good. If you talk about what's actually influenced mindset, um, in recent years now, it seems probably more secular books, but when I was converted in 1977, there was a tremendous evangelical culture in South Africa. So I was brought up in a very secular family. We never prayed. We didn't have Bible reading in our family. We didn't even pray before meal. There was no grace. We didn't attend Sunday school. We didn't even go to church on Christmas and Easter. So I was brought up in a very secular family in Bulawayo and Rhodesia. But when we came to Cape Town, I bumped into Christians everywhere. And uh, I'm not aware that I ever heard the gospel in Rhodesia, but I sure was confronted with it in Cape Town. So on a... Sunday evening, I, I walked across the road to the cinema in Pines, expecting to see a film, not knowing that the local Baptist church had hijacked the cinema for an evangelistic outreach. And I heard Reverend Roger, uh, no, it was Reverend Rex Matthew preaching. Rex Matthew, one of the finest gospel preachers, he was the guest speaker that night, and he was giving a powerful message on what Christ has done for you, and asked, what have you ever done for him? And he is actually referring to this painting in the Art Museum in Düsseldorf, Behold the Man which is a depiction of the crucified Christ and how this impacted uh, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, who later launched the first Protestant mission sign that sent missionaries as far afield as Conardendal in the Cape to open that mission station just up the road from Cape Town. And um, he saw the title of the message, This I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? And uh, 
he surrendered his life to Christ. Even though he'd been brought up in a Christian family, he recognized that he wasn't living for him. Well, that challenge, when it was given to me, uh, called me into both evangelism and missions. I not only surrendered my life to Christ that night, 3rd of April 1977, but I was called to missions. And my first ministry after being converted was running a book table at Pines Baptist Church in the literature stand and seeing the magazines and all this. So I got heavily involved in literature ministry from the beginning, getting my books in the Protestant book room and transferring it by train up railway station, walking to the church, setting up the book table. And even when I went to the army, I was um, involved in literature ministry. I took books and put a book table on my uh, on my army bed and trunk. And in my two years in the military, I sold about 650 rands worth of books now. To put this into perspective, the average hardcover book at that time, like a full Bible, was two rand. And the average soft cover paperback book was 50 cents. My first Bible was two rand, a good news Bible, which I still have today. Um, <clears throat> to sell 650 rands worth of books in that time, that means, bearing in mind, the average book was 50 cents. That's well over a thousand books I would have sold in two years in the army as a normal soldier, normal rifleman, without a proper bookshop, just using my my um, bed and, and trunk um, as running a book table. So literature was a very important part of my early work. I sold a lot of books at church, at, um, at church camps and courses and things like that. So literature is a way of reaching a lot of people. A pastor can only teach so much, but there's a whole lot of things that the average Christian is going through in an average week that the pastor can't deal with that every week. But, I mean, people are thinking, how do I have a quiet time? Um, how do I deal with issues of bitterness or unforgiveness or restitution? Or what about marriage counseling or love courtship marriage or financial principles for work? Or what about tough questions like on creation, evolution, or you wondering about some of the big questions like how can a loving God allow evil and why is there evil and suffering in the world? Or what evidence is there for God? Well, there's books dealing with all these things. But you can't expect the average church to deal with this in a given week, let alone month. So if you've got books on a, in a library or books on a book table that tackle these subjects, it supplements the pastor's ongoing work. And it'll enrich the church and the fellowship and the counseling and the quality of discipleship throughout the church if you have a good, balanced book table and library. I think every church should have a library and every church should have a book table. And the way it is these days, you probably also need an audiovisual library too. Videos, audios. People spend a lot of time in their cars. If they have a tape deck or a CD player or an MP3 player, they can be redeeming the time and listening to a lot of great either audio books or sermons, lectures, discipleship materials. So um, I was involved in all of that as a new Christian and I think it enriched my life a lot because... I read enormous amounts as New Christian, and uh, the books that impacted me as a New Christian was God Smuggler by Brother Andrew, Tortured for Christ by Richard Vaughan Run Baby Run by Nicky Cruz, and The Cross and Switchblade by um, David Wilkerson, and In His Steps by Sheldon, which is a great, powerful book, Pilgrim's Progress, of course, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and what led me into missions in the field that we ended up in Mozambique and Angola and persecuted churches was Operation World. Patrick Johnson, 
put together a handbook for intercession for every country in the world called Operation World. And praying through the book Operation World while I was in the army led me clearly to see the need for launching a mission to Mozambique and to Angola. And, and you could say our mission was really launched from Operation World opening our eyes to the field, which is white and to harvest, but terribly neglected. The harvesters, larger workers are few. And uh, reading there's only one Bible for a thousand people in, in Mozambique. No missionaries allowed, no banana 18 allowed in church, and uh, all the different restrictions in church in Mozambique. That inspired me that that was to be our first mission field. The least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere, as Patrick Johnson said. So books played a major role in our work, and from the very beginning, Bible distribution was our first priority. Yeah, and your military pay was also being used to finance... Very much, uh, yes. In fact... Um, with my military pad, I'd be buying Bibles from the Bible Society in different languages the people were going to and distributing Bibles. But then also, when I came out of the army, I was able to buy motorbike and the Bibles that we need to take to Mozambique, the Jesus film. In, um, and by the way, just to show you how things have changed again, 16 millimeter film, which is the way to show films at that time, which came in reels. So the metal reels over the celluloid wraps around and one copy of the G's film was 650 rand. Now, considering a projector cost 600 rand, so one film cost more than a projector. Whereas today, you think of the cost of a video projector is so much more, but the cost of DVDs is quite a little. So it took me a while before I could afford a second film. So just having the G's film in Portuguese was a major investment. It cost even more than a projector. And so when I went to the field the first time, I had a film, but I didn't have a projector yet. And so I arrived in Mozambique. I deliver Bibles. The people are dancing for joy, excited, getting the Bibles. So I've brought the Jesus film in Portuguese. People are even more excited. I said, pray that I can find a projector. They got all depressed and the idea of, how can you come to Mozambique without a projector? Where do you think you're going to find a projector? And, and what about electricity? There's no electricity here ever. So... Um, one of the people came to me afterwards and said, come to the corner of Vladimir Lenin and Mao Zedong tomorrow. I work at the British Embassy. And he said, they've got a projector. Maybe they'll lend it to you. Well, I turned up at Mao Zedong and Vladimir Lenin and went to the British Embassy. And the consul there was very kind and he happily lent me the projector. But he said, you're going to need a miracle because we never get electricity. And uh, so... I went, set up the projector in a burned-out, bombed-out church on Avenue Eduardo Milani. There was no roof. There's no windows. The pulpit was gone. The pews were gone. Just just a hollowed-out shell of a church, bullet holes in the walls. And there was no plugs either. There was just a few wires dangling out some sides. So I took my screwdriver out, undid the pl plugs, and started wrapping wires around other wires so we'd be ready if the electricity came on. And sure enough, the electricity came on. There were about 2,000 people already in the church. Projected the film against the back wall. And absolutely amazing. Well, the film carried on for hours. But just around the crucifixion scene, the power went out. Well, I thought, well, that's not bad. We've got the main part. So I preached heavily on that for a while. And then the power came back on, which apparently almost never happened. And so that was extraordinary. And as I was preaching on the resurrection and challenging people to surrender their lives to Christ. And one of my challenges, which just shows the different mindset at that time, said, you've seen the film, now read the book and meet the star. And I was handing out 
booklets in the Shangon language and Portuguese of Luke, because the Jesus film was based on the book of Luke. So you've seen the film, now read the book and then meet the star. We'll lead you to Christ. So they were, I saw people walking to the front in camouflage uniforms with AK-47s. And I remember it's a pitch dark church. There's no electricity. And so these men are walking towards me with AK-47s and I'm thinking, I'm about to go to jail. This is the last time I'll ever preach. And, uh, but as they got to front, they got on their knees and they laid the AK-47s on the ground and they knelt down and they wanted prayer. They wanted to give their lives to the Lord. So I had the opportunity of baptizing Philemo soldiers, people who were, in human sense, my enemies. It wasn't that long before that I was in the South African army. My brother had served in the Rhodesian army and actually fought Philemo. And here I was having the privilege of leading Philemo communist soldiers in Mozambique to the Lord. And, of course, giving them Gospel of Luke and so on. So that just shows a faith mission. The literature stayed. We went home, but the books in the Bible stayed and continued to work in their lives. The film was a point of contact to present a charisma, the core of the gospel, and then in their language, in Portuguese, better than I could preach or any translator could translate, because this was polished by people who were Bible translators, did the voiceovers, so, and every word in the film, Jesus' film, came from the Gospel of Luke. So it was a powerful integration of the Bible, film, preaching, and then prayer. And uh, I felt good about the fact that as we left to go home, the literature stayed and continued to do the work, and that's the important thing. As a missionary, there's only so much work we can do, but if the Bibles and books are left in the right hands, in the right language, it can deepen and continue and extend the work way beyond what any of us could achieve with any amount of speaking to us. There's no way you could teach or preach as much as a person can learn from reading the Bible for themselves. So we supplied lots of Bibles. I took in a thousand World Missionary Press Gospel booklets and a hundred New Testaments in Portuguese and Shangon. And of course, the Jesus film had made an impact. So that's just part of how literature can really impact a place. And I found people years later telling me how much they were impacted by the Bible they were given at this meeting or that. Or on, and many a time when a person wanted to get a free Bible, I would tell them this costs about $10 overseas. It costs 10 commandments here. You tell me the 10 commandments, I'll give you the Bible free. And so if they could recite the 10 commandments accurately, then I would entrust them with the Bible in their language. And uh, so that's just, just one way of also uh, thinning out because so many people wanted the Bible. You couldn't give to everybody, but to find the ones who deserved it the most, who'd shown some interest and discipline to memorize something. Yeah, and <clears throat> uh, besides you spending your military salary to fund your missionary work, your salary was also being taxed by the army to fund Bible... Actually, that's, um, that's another interesting point to bring out. When we started our work... Bibles were tax-exempt. The Bible study was tax-immune. So when we bought Bibles, there was no VAT or GST. It was, you know, if, if somebody designated, say, Turan for Bibles for Angola, that all went there. None of it went to government tax. And uh, so that was good. But when I went to the South African Army, they automatically deducted your um, tithe. Your voluntary tithe was automatically deducted for everyone's salary. But it didn't go to the army. It didn't go to the chaplain's corps. They were catered for by the defense budget. It went to the Bible Society. So the army donated millions and millions of rands from the tithes of South African soldiers, national servicemen. 
to the Bible study. So the Bible study back in the 1970s and 80s was the biggest Bible translating force in the whole of Africa. And Africa is 3,000 languages and dialects, so it's a lot of work. And the Bible study in South Africa was pioneering the way for a lot of Bible translations and printing projects. They're also able to subsidize Bibles. So when I started to buy Bibles to go into Mozambique and Angola, it didn't cost us much in the early days. I mean, the average Bible was two rand, and they'd even give you a discount on that. And that was already subsidized. So I could buy thousands of Bibles, and it wasn't something that's going to break the bank because they were already subsidized. And that's because the Southern Defense Force was tithing effectively to the Bible Society. Uh, in addition to that, you could go up to many units and soldiers were doing initiatives like in our displays in the upper room here in Livingston House. I've got a picture of a kneeling South African soldier with a R1 in one hand and an open Bible in the other. And this was designed and produced by soldiers in Sector 20, Rundu base. And these, the money, and I remember buying that for 120 rand, which considering your monthly salary is about 120 rand. That's about a month's salary. It's quite significant. So that's, um, they donated the money to the Bible Society for getting the Bible translated to Kwanyama in Braille because there's some who lost their eyesight due to terrorist attacks and landmines and so on. So for the blind people, uh, the Braille Bible was an important project. And so here's some soldiers in Sector 20 making these statues, selling them to raise money for the Braille Bible project in Kwanyama. And that's just one of many initiatives. So over and above the voluntary tie that was automatically deducted, there was um, a whole lot of initiatives to raise funds for the Bible Sunday. And the Bible Sunday seems to have been the favorite um, recipients of a lot of military um, fundraising operations. So I don't know how many people realize that the Southern Defense Force was one of the biggest forces for funding Bibles and Bible translation, even to Braille. So that's also part of our heritage and history and background. I think it just should inspire people too. I don't know how many armies in the world enforce something like tithing and fund Bible translations, but it would be nice if more armies got that vision. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and what, in, just in general, what what are some of the most uh, important books uh, that you've read or that have impacted you the most? Well, as a new Christian, I remember Tortured for Christ gave me a real insight that, you know, an ounce of experiences worth a ton of theory and... Uh, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ and how important it is that we are prepared that we can memorize much of the scripture. It was so well put by um, Sabina Wombrandt, the wife of Richard Wombrandt, who spent 14 years being tortured for Christ for being a Lutheran minister in Romania um, under the communists, especially under Ceausescu. Well, Richard Wombrandt's wife said, before I went to prison, I was very poor. But when I went to prison, I became very rich because I had the only currency that counted in prison. She had memorized so much of the Bible. So she could enrich many people with the storehouse of the memory that she had of all the Bible verses. So that just reminds one of the importance of memorizing Scripture. And when I was locked up in Zambia in 1987 under Kenneth Kondo, um, I remembered all that. And it was so good that although they took my Bible away from me, I had so much stored up in my memory. I could still preach and run Bible studies all night and enrich others in the in the, in the prison, Lusaka Central Prison, with what I had stored up in my heart and mind. So it just reminds you, how much of the Word of God do you have? If if the Bible is taken out of your hands, how much do you have stored up in your heart and mind? So that was one of the books that really blessed me. Um, 
I think the cross and the switch played by David Wilkerson also was great. Just the impact that you could have in urban areas with even confronting criminal gangs with the gospel. That inspired me to go into Hillbrow and do a lot of evangelism amongst the criminal underclass there on the streets through the night. And we used that as training for people. People wanted to come and join Frontline Fellowship and smuggle Bibles to Mozambique. And I put them first and foremost into Hillbrow to work in an urban jungle doing ministry with the jewelers and the street people and the, um, the gangs and so on on the streets through the early hours of the morning. And that's a good training ground because you could see who would make it across the field. If you can't make it where it's legal and safe, then you're not likely to be wanting to go into a war zone. So those books really helped. And I loved reading biographies of uh, different great missionaries of the past, you know, about Mary Sliss and William Carey and so on. And uh, so as a new Christian, I think Pilgrim's Progress, Fox's Book of Martyrs, made a great impact in my life. In His Steps was very inspiring, asking what would Jesus do? And uh, that's a great novel, well worth reading. Those those were very impactful for me. Um also was very inspired by The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray, a Band of Truth book, which gives an eschatology of victory. The Puritan Hope shows that the early missionaries and the great reformers and Calvinists had a particular vision that the Great Commission would be fulfilled before the Lord returned. The Puritan Hope is basically post-millennialism or the eschatology of victory. It's a very optimistic view of the future, which inspired missionaries like David Livingston uh, Robert Moffat, Richard, uh, all the way through to um, Robert Morrison, the great missionaries of the 19th century, they were inspired by this vision that we will fulfill a great commission before the Lord returns. God, who has given a great commission, will enable us to fulfill it. And God, who is sovereign, will not predestine defeat for his army. So this pessimistic or pessimillennialistic view that people have today, that everything is going to get worse and worse and just going to fall apart and then the Antichrist is going to destroy the rest. Um, that view is fairly recent through most of church history, and especially the greatest century of missions. Uh, the eschatology of victory or the Puritan hope was predominant. And I think reading that book, the Puritan hope, moved me from being a pre-mill, pre-trib, dispensational, rapture fever person to a much deeper, uh, optimistic person who could think of going to Bible college and marrying and having children, whereas before that I thought that's impossible because the world's coming to an end in a few minutes. So that gave me a long view, which really helped. Another book that really helped was War Psalms of the Prince of Peace, James Adams' book, studying the imprecatory psalms of, of the Bible, praying for justice, praying against evil, praying against the persecutors of the church. And there's a lot of imprecations in the psalms, prayers for justice, appealing to God to intervene, which is what I found the persecuted church preached. So that was very impactful. Some of the other books that inspired me a lot was Understanding the Times by Dr. David Noble, which is a world and life view, analyzing all areas of life from history, biology, through law and government from a biblical point of view. And then Evangelism Explosion, the manual by Dr. James Kennedy, which is one of the finest manuals for evangelism ever. So Evangelism Explosion, or EE3, that really inspired me a lot in the early years of my work. Another James Kennedy book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born, was very impactful. Um, looking at everything good in the world is a result of the teachings and example of Jesus Christ and his followers. And so What If Jesus Had Never Been Born is a powerful 
attests me to the fact that every single thing good in our society, from hospitals uh, through to universities, through to high literacy rate, um, the very concept of charity, ending of slave trade, all this came from the teachings and example of Jesus and his followers putting his teachings into practice. That's a great answer to people who try to guilt manipulate you or try to cancel culture and suggest that Christianity has been bad and, you know, what about the Crusades and all that and you can get well. Um, what if Jesus had never been born is the answer. And it's, there's a good film on it too. The book is tremendous, absolutely outstanding and an antidote to all the negative anti-Christian voices in our society today. Uh, yeah, you've discussed books that have influenced you, but which books do you think are the most important ever written? Okay, books that are the most important ever written. Well, obviously, you've got to say the Bible, which is not just the most translated book in all of history. It's in over 2,890 languages, have at least a portion of the Bible. Over 540 languages have the full Bible. But um, it's the most read book in the world. It's the best-selling book of all of history. Over 3 billion copies so far. Probably just in the last century, 3 billion copies. It's the most widely read book. It's the most widely referenced book. It's the most widely quoted book in the world. And there's no doubt that the 1611 King James Version is the most uh, influential Bible translation in all of history. You can't even understand William Shakespeare or Jane Austen or Dickens without the Bible. The Bible's so vital. One copy of William Tyndale's original printed New Testament into English was sold recently for over five million pounds. I mean, you can't get people buying a Harry Potter for that, that's for sure. So the Bible tells the greatest story ever told about the greatest man who accomplished the greatest task ever, the purchasing of salvation through his blood. So the Bible is the greatest book. Then some of the great books in history, Augustine's Confessions, The City of God by Augustine, uh, Lex Rex, The Law and the Prince by Samuel Rutherford, Lex Rex, The Law is King, um, Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin, Fox's Book of Martyrs by John Fox, actual title was Acts and Monuments, but it catalogues all the persecution church through the ages, very powerful. Pilgrim's Progress is without doubt the most successful, influential, best-selling book in the English language ever, Pilgrim's Progress. And then from missionary point of view, an inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. Published, written by William Carey, 1792. It launched the modern missionary movement. And then I'd have to put in David Livingston's book, Missionary Travels and Researches in South Africa. That uh, inspired literally thousands of missionaries into Africa. It is an absolutely major work, which probably one of the most important in history in terms of missions in Africa. And then novels, a Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, contrasting Paris before and during the French Revolution with London, which had been affected by the Great Evangelical Awakening. A Tale of Two Concerts was the best of times, was the worst of times. Age of Wisdom, Age of Foolishness. And uh, that whole introduction tells you the whole story. Um, other novels I'd put Oliver Twist by Dickens, Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen, as far as novels go. Influential books in the 20th century, I would put The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who exposed the brutal communist concentration camp system, which destroyed over 50 million lives in the Soviet Union. So The Gulag Archipelago. Um, I'd also add 
Um, How Should We Then Live? The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. How Should We Then Live? has also been made into a film documentary, but what a powerful book. Traces the um, Western history from ancient Rome through the Reformation and Renaissance and the devastations caused by secular humanism and evolutionism. And Schaeffer warns of the subtle forms of information control and psychological manipulation of the masses by unscrupulous governments today, so it's super relevant. Um, he also wrote the Christian Manifesto, which was very effective. Um, I would add How Christianity Changed the World by Professor Alvin Smith. He documents how Christianity established the sanctity of life, elevated sexual morality, gave freedom and dignity to women, invented charity and compassion, pioneered hospitals, pioneered universal education, dignified labor, established economic freedoms, launched a scientific revolution, innovated liberty and justice for all, abolished slavery, produced the greatest art in and architecture in history, and gave to the world the greatest music and literature and holidays, words and symbols that have shaped our civilization for centuries. So How Christianity Changed the World by Professor Alvin Smith. Um, I'd add, for my particular interest in history, I would add A History of Central Banking and Enslavement of Mankind by Stephen Midford Goodson. Freedom Betrayed by Herbert Hoover, one-time president of the United States on the secret history of the, United, of the Second World War and its aftermath. Uh, the Secret War, Spies, Codes and Guerrillas by Sir Max Hastings, which uh, based on the, um, uh, the decrypts and the code breaking and all the things that have been uh, sealed for decades, now unsealed, requires every history book in the Second World War to be rewritten because it's, it's the war from the perspective of previously suppressed uh, secret wars from the perspective of the military intelligence and the code breakers of all sides on the Russian, German, American, French, Italian, Japanese sides. And uh, the secret war is, is a real revelation. Uh, Pat Buchanan, who was once the speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, writes... Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War, How Britain Lost Its Empire and the West Lost the World. So I put that also very important to understand the 20th century. Because of my work amongst the persecuted church, I would also add Shake Hands with the Devil, The Failure of Humanity in Rwanda by General Romeo Delio. He was the commander of the United Nations Peacekeeping Mission in Rwanda and documents how the United Nations and international community failed to prevent the slaughter of over 800,000 people in just 100 days, 1994 genocide in Rwanda. And he shows the role of Kofi Annan and Butrus Butrus Ghali and the Bill Clinton administration in, in failing to, he calls it the failure of humanity, it's actually more the failure of the UN and the US in Rwanda, but still, shake hands with the devil is the most damning indictment of the United Nations and uh, the Clinton administration. And having worked in Rwanda and spoken to many of the survivors, written the book Holocaust in Rwanda, I found that very useful. There's also a film that came out on that, which Romeo Delier oversaw to ensure accuracy. Um, I'd also say the Institutes of Biblical Law by R.J. Rashtuni provides an outline for re-establishing Christian civilization in all areas of life. So these are some of the most important books from my perspective. Um, Dr. Hammond, we'll have to continue this discussion next week. 
Thank you very much for sharing your time and wisdom with us. Uh, before we close, can you list some resources for the listeners um, where they can obtain Christian literature? Yes, it's so important that we use literature to win Africa for Christ. And there are some phenomenal resources available from Literature for Africa. So I strongly recommend that we contact Literature for Africa, contact mission at frontline.org.za. And uh, we have stores here. We just read about 100 tons of Bibles and books every um, year. Um, all over in about 100 languages. We've got World Missionary Press Gospel booklets in many languages. We've got John and Romans booklets. We've got a vast amounts of books, including theological books and books for libraries. So if people want to start a book table or a track stand or do mass literature distribution in the area, traffic lights or at, uh, railway stations or taxi ranks, they can get tracks from us. If they want to start a library for their school or their church, we can help with that. Or if you want to supplement some books in your Bible college library, uh, we can provide that too. We also provide uh, some books for teachers, uh, including school textbooks, and um, also books for pastors, libraries for pastors. So if you're interested in literature ministry, contact Literature for Africa. You can also go on the Frontline Mission Essay.org website and find links to these and how to get more. We've put a lot of tracts, free evangelistic tracts and free booklets on the FrontlineMissionSA.org website. And you can find very useful evangelistic and discipleship materials and free digital resources on the FrontlineMissionSA.org website and on our William Carey Bible Institute, WilliamCareyBI.org website. LivingstonFellowship.co.za has got summaries of every book in the Bible and audio sermons summarizing each book in the Bible too, and about 70 different tracks, including in French and German, Russian, Chinese, uh, Zulu, Corsa. So you can find quite a lot of resources at livingstonfellowship.to.za as well. Um, if you can get good Christian books, try and get a library going in your church or homeschool or uh, community, um, put out book tables, track stands. There's so much we can do to so good seed in our community and get people back to reading. Proverbs 18 verse 15 underlines why it's so important to nurture a culture of books and reading. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night. <laughs>